and welcome to another episode of Stories from the CRISPR Drawer. This is Season 2, Episode 14, Zen Carrot Alert Duo. <laughs> we are recording this episode, well, I am recording this episode on November 15th, 2019. So, what do I got for you? First of all, uh, I've got some first impressions of the uh, ASUS ZenBook Pro Duo, which is part of the, if you haven't figured that out, well... I'm not going to blame you if you haven't, because I haven't really led into it. I got the I bought a, a an Asus ZenBook Pro Duo for doing tests on and running production operations for the future of this podcast and various other operations I plan to do. And I say that so far I've been playing around with it, and there are some pretty good things. It's the 16 gig i7 model, not the i9 model. It's a ninth gen uh, i7, not the tenth gen, but you know. Is there really that much difference between the two that Intel's been able to push out as well? AMD is kicking ass with their new Ryzen line. They're like, 3950 is apparently just amazing. I saw Linus Tech Tips had a video on it. It's like, what the frick is going on in the uh, computer processor world? So that'll be interesting. Um, great thing about that laptop is both screens are touchscreen. One is 4K, one is 3,480 uh, 3, pixels by 1,100 pixels. So it's actually, like, it's... That's the smaller screen uh, above the keyboard that's also a touchscreen. That screen is ideal for timeline editing, for like putting a, putting like palettes and stuff like that, for Photoshop and Lightroom and stuff like that. It's actually an amazing screen. Um, you can also put notes in there. You can put three programs in there. You can program stuff to auto-run that way. There's a button that you can quick switch like, hey, I want that actually on the top screen instead of the bottom screen, and it properly shifts everything and spaces it out. It's actually quite quite amazing little thing. Um, Thing. Uh, you know, with it, with a, uh, it comes with a uh, 2060 uh, RTX card, G G an NVIDIA card. So it's actually, it does a pretty good rendering system. Uh, I mean, it's not going to be as powerful as, you know, Quattro renderers and stuff like that, but it's actually quite a good little unit. And I tested out by playing a couple of games on it. So my top game was Ace Combat 7, which I played at 4K. Gets a little toasty, but it runs pretty well like yeah it's keeping 60 frames per second at uh at 4k resolution definitely knocking it down to 1080p made it f play way better but you know i'm not complaining about that i'm usually a 1080p guy but 1080p on a 4k display it looked it looked very well and it ran amazingly well actually but that's not going to be an insanely uh testing game and i'm not going to be using it for gaming heavily especially with um games that have ray tracing it, I'm just going to turn that off because there's no point in making that sacrifice. Um, well, let's talk about it. Like the, it has a touchpad that acts as a number pad, a uh, Thunderbolt 3 USB port. Uh, it's got a little, not that many, like not a lot of I.O. Um, it's not super heavy. Like, I, you know, I think like ThinkPad, older Lenovo, like thick ThinkPads with replaceable components like CD drives, replacing them with... Uh, or DVD or Blu-ray drives, replacing them with SD cards, and you know it's definitely going to be lighter than a Panasonic Toughbook. So it's lighter than some. Uh, it it is a sturdy feeling laptop. I'll say that um, the touchpad on the the right side that works as number pad when you have a key when you have a mouse plugged in, as well as just hitting uh, holding a little tiny uh, switch on top of the screen on top of it turns it into a number pad. So that works pretty well. The keyboard layout's very nice. The traction feels good to me. I mean, I'm not a keyboard expert, so A, I typed well on it. Not going to complain. Um, the uh, little uh, armrest that comes with it, I haven't really used that that much, so 
not really making a big notice to me. Uh, do if don't wear this on. Do never never run it at, at power on your lap because it will get hot. Like you know, I did have the CPU going up to ninety one to ninety two degrees Celsius at least according to the uh, spec program I was running. No Ethernet jack, so limited I/O. So only two regular USB-A style ports that are 3.2. Then we've got a USB uh, Thunderbolt USB-C style port and an HDMI audio jack. Um, so that's fine. That's both. That uh, does all three. So it's a well stereo and microphone um, power cord. Uh, the brick isn't that big. It's not as big. It's definitely smaller than some of the gaming ones. It's not as big as. Um, some others, it's not as big as some of the gaming ones, uh, that, you know, you get from Dell or Asus, you know, their gaming lines. It's definitely not as small as, you know, like tablet, uh, chargers. It does need a, it is a brick, but it's, it's not too bad to carry around in. Um, you know, it is pricey. Uh, yeah, just, it is. I think for what it is, the price actually isn't that bad. (laughs) Especially since I uh, looked at a few like beastly gaming computers that had slightly better graphics cards or slightly better like had a better screen or had better uh, power or had a better graphics card. None really had a better screen, but they had like uh, they had some improvements on it that maybe uh, as a gamer that would have been a better choice. But they were all topping out of like the lower three thousand dollar Canadian range anyway. So. I don't really feel like uh, for the bang for the buck, it's not too bad if you're willing to go that way. And especially if you're a production guy who considers that a creative laptop, that's probably not a bad way to go. Um, You probably could get your company to do it. You probably could buy it for your company and take it as a write-off. There's various uh, production plans you could do and stuff like that. I think for very few individuals, this would be like a laptop I'd recommend I'd say if, if you're using it as a gaming only laptop to go around with there are better choices if you're using it as a word processor there are way better choices get a fucking Chromebook or something like that but for what I wanted to do with it so far it's proven to be exactly what I wanted it to do and more components and more technology keeps coming out that makes that choice even more like even more positive and I think for my brother and his wife and their creative business, that knowing that that laptop exists now, that might be a, a style to go with in the future. I really hope that Asus and other brands uh, like Acer, Dell, HP, I hope Lenovo even like makes this creator line, like not a business line, but like a creator, content creator, designer, like artist sort of line of laptop that would fit with these people. And I think this style is sort of where it's going. I don't think it's 100% of the way there. I think there's going to be a lot of variation that each of the companies will find out how they want it done. I credit Asus for being the first one to really go there, though. And I think they went there the best way that they could. There are definitely going to be better versions of this coming out, like tablets and and stuff like that. And fully write-onable screens will be better for some people. I, it's it's a huge market. Like everything will be a choice for where to go with it. Um, you don't have to choose everything. You don't need to choose this one. That's the benefit of the market of how these computer companies are going. Is like each brand is taking sort of like their own p- stab at something, and sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. Sometimes uh, all the brands miss their mark. Sometimes three of them get it perfectly right on. Sometimes one like four of them actually do pretty good and then one comes out with this amazing idea that nobody thought of and everyone's like, well, why didn't we do that? So I, I hope this is one of those cases where they've figured out a, like, maybe this isn't the style of the new laptop, but it's just they thought, here's an implementation that works 
that we can see has legs. I hope it goes that far. And, you know, I'm sort of an Asus fanboy, but I have nothing wrong against Acer. I have very little wrong against Dell and their Alienware line. It seems like uh, I, I used to criticize, like, HP's budget line. I understand their higher-up line is better now. I'm just, you know, I'm not a fan of, like, I've just I've had a lot of HP computers through my family that like, have worked very well in a simple job, like, where they're not really taxed or anything, like, they're really overpowered, like, you know, just running barcode scanners and stuff like that, really sim- light duty, but as soon as they got any work heavy, within a very short period of time, they really showed themselves, plus the bloatware that HP and Dell put on their stuff, I wouldn't buy it for myself, I would buy, like, another credit, Asus really has very light, like, there's no bloatware practically, besides from McAfee antivirus on that guy, very clean install, very soft, very fast. I couldn't believe how fast the thing ran. So I'm very happy with it so far. And it is it is a brick to carry versus my Transformer book, uh, my little guy like that. But there are benefits to it, and there are things that are detriments. Like it wouldn't be a, hey, I'm going backpacking trip. I wouldn't take that one over my Transformer book, which I'm using right now. But if I was like, hey, I'm going to a video shoot or I'm going to a mobile podcast operation, that I would definitely take with me because I think it would allow um, more activity I could actually do on site. Battery life isn't amazing, um, especially since uh, Windows' battery life like algorithm or code to figure out how much battery life there is isn't the best <laughs> either, which is really funny to think of, but... Yeah, so it goes from, like, I was at Phoenix International Airport on Wednesday, and I started up, and it said I had two hours and 14 minutes of battery life. I'm like, what? So then I run a YouTube video, and I go down, it's like, I have four and a half hours for the battery life all of a sudden. I'm like, I don't know how it makes that calculation, where a screen where I'm doing literally nothing with the lowest brightness, and then I start running a program at the highest brightness, like, does it suddenly start figuring out, like, oh, this battery actually works much better than I thought it was. Like, yeah. I think Apple's just a little bit better at their battery calculations than that, and maybe Android's in the middle there somewhere. I don't know. It might be other things that I'm not taking consult of. I don't physically build laptops, so there's probably thoughts and features and reasons for that. Um, Yeah, (laughs) so (laughs) I guess I'll keep going on this. Like The first thing I did when I got this thing is I played around with it for a little bit, got Audacity running, putting a DaVinci Resolve on it soon to do video editing and playing around with that. And I'll probably get a photo editing program like Photoshop. I'm just, yeah, it's hard for me to actually bite into Adobe and want to actually buy into their stuff, but I may have no choice in the matter, (laughs) or maybe I'll find a better alternative that at least fits me and that I'm willing to spend the time to learn that maybe is harder to use or has various issues or something like that, or, you know, spin around with, but the first, after all that, I then like, okay, well, I need to see if it runs Red Alert 2, because that's one of my favorite games. Uh, I need to install Command & Conquer General Zero Hour, and I installed those. Um, it's interesting how, um, and this is from EA's origin, Gen Launcher, how Command & Conquer and Red Alert, the originals, ran flawlessly. Like, pretty much ran flawlessly. Tiberian Sun needed a little bit of work. Red Alert 2 and Yuri's Revenge was the hardest to get running, because it would keep screwing up every single thing. And finally, now that it's running in its purely native resolution, it's running perfectly fine after downloading the CNC net installer for their multiplayer stuff. 
now it runs great. It runs absolutely fantastically, and I could probably run Metal Omega, the expansion pack on it. Um, well, it runs great. I shouldn't say that. I can play like three missions of of uh, the Allied campaign before it crashed. So I'll, I'll see if. But I, that might have been a crash of me touching off screen at, uh, near the keyboard, which is a slight other thing. Like, watch where your hands are going because there isn't really that much of a gap between the touch screen on the bottom and the keyboard. I think there could be ways to fix that or something like that. I don't know. I'm not really too complaining about that. That might have caused the screen to, the game to crash. I don't know. Like, it didn't. It didn't seem to have that effect on Red Alert, Tiberian Sun, or CNC ninety five, or any of them post Red Alert, too. Um, but maybe it was just that era. Like because of when they were programming it, it was like meant for it could run on Windows ninety eight. Yet XP was coming out, and ME and two thousand existed, which were just trash. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, it, it's been fun. Um, Steam runs quite amazing on it. Uh, Ace Combat 7 runs very well on it. Won't give it any complaints there. Uh, you do need to spend money on buying like a USB-C or Thunderbolt hub, but yeah, I guess that's the way of the world now. Like Apple really started that off with very limited I.O., but it's sort of disappointing from a computer this large, but at the same time, two USBs plus a USB-C Thunderbolt port yeah, you know, if somebody's used to only running with, like, tablets, that's a considerable improvement, so my, I'll hold, I'll withhold my judgment until I'm in a situation where I find it very annoying consistently, which may happen, which may not happen, who knows, so that's about it, um, but yeah, if you're definitely using it, get, like, a thermal covering if you're going to use your lap as the desk, get a, get a, like, a lap desk or an actual desk or something like that, because it will run hot, <laughs> You know, just like a lot of the gaming laptops. They're not truly meant for laptops. They're sort of desktop replacements. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, what next? Uh, I started watching the Pat McAfee show on DAZN and YouTube. Uh, it's fun to watch. Uh, I think he's an interesting guy. That watched a couple of episodes while I was on vacation. And, uh, and then came back, and Thursday night, November 14th happened, which was yesterday. And that was crazy in the Steelers-Browns uh, game. And I think Pat's got a good take on it. And, you know, to me, I I, I was sort of playing Command & Conquer uh, Generals on the Zen book. And then um, I look at him like, what what the fuck is going on in this game? That's not football. I, like, eight seconds left and that's what's going on. I'm like, I've never seen that. I don't want to see that ever again. And that's not football. That is not a professional sport. That is something a temperamental child would do. And all the players rushing on the field and doing things is also not football. That's maybe I'm not that big of a fan, but that was just like, oh, that's not a good. That's not. That's not good. That is not good. And if the NFL has made the decision, which um, you can watch. I'm not going to give much more attention to that. That was kind of bad. Uh, but I will say Pat has a, Pat and his guys are just like they're fun to watch. The fact that he does his show from a box truck because when he's on location, he has a few shows a week from his home in uh, Indianapolis. Like, ah, eh, cool on that guy. Good, good for him for having that. Going from being the punter, <laughs> the punter for the Indianapolis Colts to having that sort of a life. Like, man, I just like 
things really worked out for him. And I think it was because he also had like a personality that could go somewhere and he had something to give, give his experience on. And, you know, he just seems like a, such a, you know, he's got a lot to talk about. His experience with the, the sport is pretty interesting. And also just how he wants to take on life the way he does and how he really is just how he is. I would like if, um, they made a unfiltered version, like if if um, his show, and I get why it's probably like he makes good money on terrestrial radio too, which is why he doesn't have a second format. It would almost be nicer if he had two hours of terrestrial radio and then he had a third hour like DAZN exclusive that was uncensored, but I can understand why, why not. Might be a thing they figure out next year, might be a thing they keep working on, who knows, um, but yeah, it, kudos to Pat for having a show and having the go at it and being fun. It's, it's cool to watch and these guys are just funny and have got good like I don't know if they're good opinions I'm not like the I'm not inside football all the time but they're fun to watch and if, if a show is not entertaining and hey sometimes educational and brings things in it's it's a good show to me so yeah watch watch his clips on YouTube or watch the full show I generally have started uh, like I, I used to only bounce between clips so I found out like a segment that might be important in that show they may only put a five minute clip on now the, the show is for free on YouTube so there's no excuse not to watch it. If you're a DAZN member, you can watch it as a streaming, and I think you can do that on YouTube as well. But, like, you know, when he had a take on something from two weeks ago, I decided to watch that clip, and I'm like, oh, there's a bit more there. So I watched the whole show, and, yeah, there's, like, 20 minutes more of conversation that that clip doesn't really cover. That clip's just literally his take, and then having all the guys and then having a phone call with somebody else. It's like, that was quite, quite an interesting review. So credit to Pat for getting that show. Let's go into more football. Uh, the CFL's Great Cup is very soon. It's at the end of this month. And this weekend, I believe we find out uh, who is playing in that game. Who's the, who is the divisional players? Uh, I know Calgary's out. We lost last weekend. So, yeah, tomorrow we're uh, Edmont- the Edmonton Eskimos versus Hamilton Tiger Cats will play for their division. And the Blue Bombers versus the... Winnipeg Winnipeg Blue Bombers will play against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So, I'll have to say that as an as an Albertan, as a Calgarian who sort of who likes CFL football a little bit, I'm not a big watcher of it. Um, and the fact that our city's hosting it, I would rather Edmonton not play in it slightly, slightly. But if it was an Edmonton versus Saskatchewan game, both are cool. Edmonton versus Blue Bombers. Like, I don't have much loyalty to the Blue Bombers. I know Saskatchewan Rough Riders have, like, quite a loyal fan base, and I'm kind of like, eh, Western teams. Uh, Hamilton Tiger Cats, I don't know much about, so, you know, whatever. <laughs> it, it's sad that our team isn't in, in the championship because last year's game was quite quite fun to watch. Um, a few years before it were – the two years before that were quite amazing as well. Um, but, yeah – Good luck to all four of them. Whoever, uh, tomorrow and... Uh, I mean, on Sunday, actually. They're playing on Sunday. They're playing divisional rounds on NFL Sunday. Okay. Fair enough. Um, whatever. I'm going to be watching the NFL on that day. But uh, still, fair enough to them. Like, Good luck to all four of those teams this weekend. Um, whichever ones go, go. And 
good luck to all of them. It's sort of bittersweet that it's not Calgary in it because it's like the host city would love to have their team in it. And I can feel that way about it's the same with NFL football. Like, you know, Miami Stadium hosting um, Miami Hard Rock Stadium hosting this Super Bowl and like the Dolphins will never be in it. Well, not will never be in it, but aren't going to be in it this year. Like quite blatantly, they are not going to be in it. It's like I can feel like Super Bowl is such an amazing event, but it's just like slightly stinging that it's not your team who's in it. And when your team's really good and you just miss out, like you just miss out, that's got to be stinging worse. If you're like the Dolphins where you haven't had like a good team for a few years, it's probably a little less of a sting. And same with like various other stadiums. To lose in the in the semi like I guess the quarterfinal rounds for for Canada like you know the I guess the semifinal divisional rounds for for the CFL for Calgary to lose that just stings a little bit more. If they lost this weekend though, it would sting even more. It would just sting a little bit more. But yeah, good luck to all the teams and you know the CFL plays good football. It's a different sort of game than NFL, but yeah. No, no, I don't. No hate, no hate between them in my book. They're both good games, both worth watching, and um, both fun. And I went to go see uh, Roland Emmerich's Midway, which was actually pretty good. I just like uh, it's a good epic war film, and it's not like this bullshit uh, of like morality between the sides. It's interesting how they tell the story from both sides. How they focus on. Uh, Admiral Yamamoto, and they also focus on uh, Patrick Wilson's character, as well as, um, as well as Woody Harrelson, who just, I don't, I don't know, he slams home Nimitz, like, he just looks and acts like Nimitz so well, and as somebody who never knew Chester Nimitz, I, that's just my point of view, he, he looks very much like him from photos, so it's, they did a good job of casting him there, um, Aaron Eckhart is, uh, Major Doolittle was just ama- was quite amazing. He was very, very, very good. Uh, Major Doolittle. Yeah, I think it was Major. And then um, then Dennis Quaid as um, Bull Halsey. Um, William Bull Halsey was also quite good. Um, a lot of the actors look like who they're playing, which is just the benefit of today of being able to hire these guys who look f- very well. Um, I-, I thought, like... The way the film talked, how you could see that, like, when you, when the, the, uh, how, I have to carefully place this. Because it, it's sort of been noticed that China's buying up more property in both into the intellectual space, such as movies, video games, production, like that, as a sort of, like, I could, sort of a strategic goal to expand their influence around the world. So there were parts of that that, first of all, the facts are true. That, that um, So the people that helped the Chinese nationals uh, and rebels who helped save uh, um, Major Doolittle, maybe it was, yeah, he was a major then, um, after his Doolittle raid, after he crashed and bailed out, well, after he bailed out and survived into China and got back to the United States, yeah, 250,000 Chinese people were uh, civilians were probably slaughtered by the Japanese because the Japanese just did that. They they were quite a savage when it came to military uh, use of force against occupied territories. So there there's that. Um, just the way the army was back then and how they treated treated their adversaries that they thought were inferior. 
but I could tell that the way that they put so much more emphasis, I felt like it was sort of a Chinese dig. But I will say that that dig definitely felt lessened when the end of the movie was this dedicated to the sailors of both the U.S. and Japanese who served in that war. It's like because while there were some that were definitely fanatical, there were probably, there was a fanaticism in the armed forces. You wonder if if the Japanese Navy maybe wasn't as fanatical outside of the pilots. If there was maybe a various other thing, the only way to find that would be through documentation and reading and and interviewing those people, those who had the chance to, if they did interview and talk to those guys and were able to figure stuff out. Um, very good depiction of the intelligence gathering. Very good depiction of the uh, dive bomber squadrons from the Enterprise, from the USS Enterprise who took part in the battle, and um, and uh, Dick, uh, the main character who did that flight. Uh, Nick Jonas is okay. Not great in the movie, but not bad either. He plays an interesting person who actually looks like the guy he did play. <laughs> Again, like a casting casting shadow sort of thing. I don't don't know what the trope is called, but you know, casting lookalikes. But Patrick Wilson as the ma- ma- as the um, commander in charge of intelligence gathering and just the guys who are underneath him at Hypo doing all their work and figuring out when, where the Japanese were going to attack, when they were going to attack, and even what direction, like how accurate his information was, like how it was five degrees and five miles difference or something like that. On a map of the Pacific Ocean being off by five degrees and five miles is very tiny. In a very small area, that's terrible, but just how huge of where an enemy could attack from and how, um, how just the movie plays out. It's kind of sad the the midway you don't really get to get to see the wildcat fighters you don't really get to see much of um, like there are some technical inaccuracies with the movie like the uh, Japanese dive bomber uh, not dive bombers um, torpedo planes didn't from Pearl Harbor really didn't have guns those would have been zeros providing that and their dive bombers would have also done that so there's a few little technical inaccuracies but it's a good movie uh, it's a very good movie. Uh, about that story. It's a really good retelling of that story. One other big criticism I could take away from this, it's just so sad that you, that like CG is CG and you can tell it. It's just like, and it's just like, I think they, if they went any farther, it would have been uncanny. So this was much more like, okay, that's animated because we know there's probably like one or two in existence and there's no way they're flying either of those. Oh, but they could have used it for reference information, but some of it just, it didn't, it wasn't bad. It was nowhere near bad. It wasn't, it was pretty good. It wasn't even near Uncanny Valley good. It was, it was just like, this works. This is where it is, but it doesn't feel like it's what it should be. Like, I feel like there are movies five years ago that had better CG than this one did. But... But um, they may have only had two or three scenes that were CG versus this one having tons and tons of scenes on the USS Enterprise, the USS Hornet, the USS Yorktown uh, that had to be CG because they just didn't, like, what do you, they, those ships, uh, the Yorktown and the Hornet are at the bottom of the ocean. Enterprise was sold for scrap. <laughs> like, they, they don't exist anymore. So it's... Like, we've got drawings of what they look like. We have pictures, we have video footage of them, but we don't really have them, so... Really, is it that hard to complain about? I I guess, like, if you know that there's no representation of that ship whatsoever, 
then the CG models, you, you can fit, you sort of can do it and you can understand like why it's right there, why it's at the point it is. I just wish that it was like we were just a little bit better, that it was just a step beyond where it wasn't on Calia, but it felt like it was very close. Some of them looked quite, quite good. Some of them were just like a little bit like, oh, it's right there, but it's just not enough. But I think for the practical effects where they needed to do it, those did look good. Like the the rigs they had them in to make them look for the shooting, those do, did look quite well done, quite authentic. So it looks like they did the research on some stuff. Some stuff they just probably, I don't want to say phoned it in, but they just like for dramatic effect, they had to put stuff or they decided not, they weren't going to render 200, they weren't going to render 50 different planes. So they were only going to use one or two. Um, I mean, it, it, it it was good. Um, the representation of Pearl Harbor was interesting. Maybe it was more realistic than Michael Bay's movie. Uh, in some case, it was a lot of CG, but maybe it was more like what it actually would have been like. I don't know. So uh, it's worth a watch. Definitely go see it. I don't think there's no reason to not go see it, and I probably will add it to my collection because it's a, it's a war film. It's a big war film. So, um, there's that. Then, this is a little bit old, so this is definitely dating me a little bit. Um, but Calgary has a budget problem. We had issues with the police department not making enough. We're not going to get enough now. It turns out that's all solved. Uh, then there's the new LRT route not having enough budget because the province is going to release the funds at a slower pace as a, st- as a check stop measure to make sure that the city isn't overspending on projects. And the city's like, oh, well, crap, we need all the money now versus one big lump sum. And the mayor got mad at the justice minister, and there was a little thing. Now that seems to have completely calmed down the last week and a half, so I have no fucking idea what's going on with that. And, you know, I think they were both acting like children and should have shut up, and, you know. Yeah, like, if they needed money, don't fund a new stadium. Don't fund the replacement of the saddle dome. I just, just my thought. Let the rich people who own the Settled Dome fund it themselves. I think they can. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's $5 billion to build a stadium and they've only got seven. But they could probably sell assets or at least take loans against them or do other things. Like, frick, the Edmonton Oilers really, as as was written in an article, and I think I mentioned it in an earlier podcast, really ran circles around the Edmonton City Council and got open-ended agreements, and you can't do that. you got to get very firm agreements. Just my take. Just my take. And then this month, uh, no, Blade Runner, the original Blade Runner movie by Ridley Scott is based in this, in this month, in this year. What did we get right? What did we not? Well, we don't have flying cars. We don't have colonies on various uh, star systems and planets and blah, blah, blah. Um, we aren't going to see attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion as much as we absolutely wish we could. Um, I think that's, yeah, I think that's the quote. Um, we are not dreaming of electric sheep as far as we fucking know. <laughs> Harrison Ford, uh, you know, he's still alive and we got a sequel of that movie and it looks like we're going to get another one according to Ridley Scott. Um but we do have talking assistants. Um, so, something was correct. The wire, the idea of wireless communication without having phones, stuff like that, is sort of correct. I don't think, I don't think that um, very many science fiction authors really thought 
maybe outside of Gene Roddenberry. But even then, I think if he knew where direction was going, he may have seen it better. Because when he first wrote in Star Trek, the idea of the communicator, and then like how he had the like you know the diagnosis device for it, which was a, actually a salt shaker apparently on the set, which was co- like a, a, a spruced up salt salt shaker, which is quite hilarious. But like things that I don't think he saw coming that they designed, like and that. They thought it was going to be these big, bulky things or something like that. How much simpler they've gotten. Like, yeah, look at the size of our phone and how powerful they are. Our phones are more powerful technically than the Apollo uh, computers for the space program, for the Apollo 11 missions, Apollo 11 through Apollo 17. Like, our phones in our hands, a common piece of technology, anywhere between, like, not super cheap end, but, like, you know, 400 to, like, $2,000 buying straight out. Mo- almost every line of those phones from like the $400, $500 range are more powerful, powerful in CPU and in computational power than the, than the giant room computers that NASA needed for the Apollo low operation, for the Apollo missions. Remember, they had human calculators back then that were actually faster than the computers, and now we know that there are computers that will uh, that no human calculator can compete with anymore, and those things are uh, still the size of rooms, but are so insanely powerful that they just you know run circles around everybody. But you know, common technology in our hand, like my my Asus Transformer book, is probably more powerful than most of the computers that were used in the in the space program. In fact, were are, but. The different era. And I don't think they expected things to get as tiny as they were. Now, virtual assistants like Siri and Alexa and um, the Google Assistant, I think those were like, those are shown off that things were happening, that they could predict that it was going to be that sort of system coming out around eventually. But they had nowhere, they just didn't know what direction we were going to go in. And I think, like, when you look at it, like, there's some things like LA. Is this dank, dreary city with like a giant seawall that needs to protect it in the Blade Runner movies, and like you know floodwaters, and then like you know desert on one side, and in twenty forty nine, it's like Las Vegas is from a nuclear war or whatever. It's interesting what has come true and what like absolutely hasn't come true. It's interesting where they got close. But I think they would have needed more information to get closer to us. I think we were the ones who were like the science developers and the technology developers were seeing science fiction and like, we want to go in that direction. And then when they started going there, they started figuring out things were like, oh, we got here, but we can go this way. And this is where they expect us to go. Like mechanical things. Like we don't need mechanical. We have, tr- our, we can make our transistors continuously smaller. We can make these switches microscopic. Like, um, we can touch the screen and do stuff, which we only thought we were going to have buttons like our old, like the old ATMs were going to be. It's quite amazing the differences. And you know, we're not mining in outer space. We don't have replicants. We don't have. We have like flying cars that cost a fortune, and there's very few of them that are out there. We don't actually have like, hey, that can drive on the road or click a button. Bam! I'm hovering and I can fly like something out of the fifth element or something like that. We missed some things. Some things we got pretty close on, and I think, especially with books and science fiction genres like that, there's only so far ahead. Like the general idea of like the device is more sought out. So the general idea of a wireless communication device, yeah, they were right that that was definitely coming around. Would they have been shocked the way it showed up? I think all of them would have been. So that's just that's just my take on it. I 
like the movie, I should watch it again. Uh, and uh, let's go into an act of extreme stupidity, or maybe just the desire for instant fame and notoriety, no matter how it was done. At the start of this month, um, two people, a woman and a man, live-streamed themselves smuggling immigrants and running from the police in Texas. Now, Tim Pool covered this on his uh, YouTube channel in early the uh, November, and apparently live-streaming crimes is a thing. I didn't know. I was thinking one day I'd live-stream this podcast with me and the guys when I finally get a group of guys. Uh, when I finally, like, you know, when, when, when. It's always when. It should be if I get a group of guys, but let's be honest here. Um, who's going to hang out with me? <laughs> um, you know, videoing or just something like that or having a roundtable discussion. I've been wanting to do that, but I've just... Uh, Every time I think, oh, I got time, something else goes wrong, and it's like, oh, well, I have to go work for this damn thing and solve that problem. But, but you know, I thought, oh, that's what people live stream. Are they live stream like shopping for some freaking reason? Listen, uh, driving to work. Um, you know, there's there's various things to live stream, video games, music things. Like, yeah, I'm gonna practice my songs for a week. Yeah, there's, hey, whatever, whatever floats your boat, man. But like, committing a crime, like live streaming you committing crimes, that's Okay. I, you've lost me. You've completely lost me. First of all, you're committing a crime, and you're creating the evidence for the prosecution to destroy you because you are identifying yourself uniquely. It's only a way that you can do it, and you're showing how you did it. Uh, everybody wants to be famous. And I say that as somebody like, oh, I want to be famous. I want to be famous. I don't know if I actually want to be famous. I think I just want to be, like, visible, I guess is more the thing. Like, that I I exist somewhere out there a little more than just my little tiny world that, that I have a place to say things. But at the same time, my stance of me maybe having that, maybe my ego wants to be stroked that way, I don't want to take that position away from anybody else either. I want everybody to have... A thing like some people want to write blogs, some people want to vlog, some people want to do podcasts, some people want to play video games, some people want to build cars, some people want to build houses, some people want to fly an airplane. Hey, all of them, do it all, man. If you can, do what you do what you love, and well, as long as it's not infringing on somebody else's rights or committing a crime. If you can do it safely from your house, or you can do it safely at a job site. Like by safely, I mean if you're building a house, as long as you know how to safely do it without injuring people who are not part of the operation. Like accidents do happen, but if it's like everyone who's involved in the project understands the risk they're taking and is willing to help you out on it, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think that's where I'm gonna go with it. Like frick, I don't know much more to talk about today. Um. Trump impeachment things going on. Uh, last thing I heard was Mitch McConnell said that the Senate will have a trial, which could be good or could be bad for Trump supporters. Um, to me, it's like, if they got something on them, they're going to get them. If they don't have much, they don't have much. My fear is is that, unfortunately, both pl- po- both parties are using this as a political matter. My view of why Mitch McConnell saying we're going to have a trial is that way it lays out um, the Democrats or the anti-Trump people who have all this evidence has to put it before an actual, like, unfortunately the Senate's still not a super court, but has to basically do it the same way as a real court where it's, you know, done in front of the Senate. So unfortunately there is political voting in there. 
least I think, or maybe with the Supreme Court get involved in this at that point. But even then, you still have some issues. But at least it would be done to a standard of like a trial where there'd be cross examination by the instead of by political operatives of like you know the 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 senator of Nevada versus the senator of Maine or whatever. It would actually be like hired. Like Trump's defense team would be against the prosecution, which would be the people saying he should be impeached. That would be two. That would be that, and basically the Senate would have to be seen as voting based on their own personal opinions of the evidence that was brought before them. Unfortunately, there's going to be politics in that. My thing is, I think that that McConnell's doing it because he's saying, "Okay, show it all off. If it passes the muster, I'm going to let my the senators vote how they want." I'm not going to hold the Senate back and throw the throw the damn thing and use my policies of like, well, we're the Senate's not going to take your impeachment inquiry seriously because it's our president in office. It's my guy who's in office. I think he's being smart, saying like the Senate is not going to play politics and give the Democrats like, oh, look what these uh, senators have done. At the same time, on the opposite angle, I view that the Democrats are playing this because. They don't have anybody who can pro- who could beat Trump in a true general election. Like everybody's a little weird. Like I don't think Warren can beat him in a general election. Bernie definitely can't. Bernie had his chance, and unfortunately, Hillary Clinton took that, snuffed that out of him. I don't think Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg could do it, but I, he seems to be such a nanny stater that it might piss off a lot of Democrats too. He's such like. He's such. Uh, he wants to control things that are personal choice issues that really are really annoying. Like you know, he tries to over for a judge on obesity in schools and, and you know marijuana and stuff like that. He he's such a drug warrior that it's such a bad way for him. I don't know. Pete Buttigieg or Buttigieg or however you pronounce his last name, to me he seems like a good guy. I don't know if he'll be captivating enough for the general election. And everyone else who's on the Democratic primary just seems to be fading and fading. And Camilla Harris, who's out, she's completely gone for sure. Um, So, yeah, there's that. Um, All I hope is that this this turns out to be actually done justly and politics don't direct... Like, unfortunately, this is going to be political no matter how it is. But I hope it's not like micro-politics, like, very annoying, like, oh, I just voted this way because I'm a Republican and the party line holds it. I really hope a legitimate, like, inquiry goes off and it's done all correctly. Like, nothing would be worse if this was just... And it probably is a kangaroo court even to start with, but I hope it's at least, like, presents itself professionally versus kangaroo-ish. We'll see how it ends up. I'm... You know, I don't know. I'm not... Would it be bad... It'd be good. I that's my thing is not will the inquiry be bad for Trump? My thing is will the end result for the country of the United States be better? Will they have actually learned something or will it have been more destructive and more divisive in the long run? That's my take on it. I don't know if that's the right take. I don't think it's the wrong take. I'm looking more of a unity angle of hey, you've got a pre- you've got one of the best you've got the best country in the world hands down. And yeah, people do shady things. Let's try not to like fucking wrench like, you know, throw a wrench in everything just because one just because one guy like you know, there's a system that's been running very well and because one guy's done one thing you don't like, orange man bad has caused the problem. 
Or the opposite way of, oh, it's just the Democrats being SJW, SJW snowflakes, like everything special, so they can't handle it. Let's hope that those are not the two end results of it. Like, orange man, bad versus, oh, you're a snow, special snowflake. Like, let's hope the end of it is like, okay, we all need to take a step back and look at every human being on this and say, shit. Um, I disagree with this guy politically right beside me all the day long, but... Me and him work at the same place, and we work at the same factory, and we get along with each other, and our kids are friends, and, you know, we drive our cars, and we have these ideological disagreements, but uh, we can go out and have a beer and, you know, not not shoot the shit with each other, and I can own my AR-15s, and he can say, I don't want you owning AR-15s, but you I like, so I'm not going to call the police and get a red flag against you. you. Even though that tool now exists, I will not abuse your, your rights as an individual because I disagree with you. And that's how I hope that the, the whole end of this, all this political heat in the United States and in Canada, which is really starting to, like, we're a few years behind the United States, which is interesting. Um, I hope this just ends like, you know, people can be civil again. We can disagree with each other all fucking day long. But it's not like stab somebody in the back or, you know, knives out and punching throats, stuff like that. It's more just about, like, you know, handshakes and... And shakes and debates. And by debates, I mean calm, collected, thought-out, rational debates. Where it's not, oh, you, you know, it's not like, oh, you're a, you're a snowflake. You're a special snowflake. You can't handle any criticism. Well, you're an NRA nut job. You know, just like careful approaches. Like, that's a very interesting point. I think the evidence is more on my side of this. But I take into account that there are some flaws that my evidence or some... Uh, externalities my group didn't think about and we'll have to approach that issue and let's all approach that together because it seems like the both parties in the u.s and me being a canadian <laughs> again i i don't fucking vote so who the fuck matters what i say but it just it, it just like when i look at these things when i look at it the way i look at it to me and i don't know if i'm right i don't know if i'm wrong and what seems like everything's becoming so narrowed down on what they're focused. It's like these broad spectrum things, but they're very focusing on one or two little tiny parts of all those things. And they're not looking at the externalities. And then there's the libertarians, like me, who are looking at everything and saying like, oh shit, the system's bad. But we also acknowledge that like, if we take away social welfare programs, there are problems that need to be stepped up. But we know that there are people who give out of the goodness of their heart that would solve this problem. And there'd be less bureaucracy from that. Well, we understand we're not going to solve the problems. We're just going to maybe alleviate. We maybe make solutions easier for some of them. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to go any further. Anyway, um, I guess I should. I've said anyway a few times. Like, what else is really in in the book for me to say? I'm just moving along. Like, cr- Christmas is next month. Thanksgiving is coming up for the U.S. Black Friday. God. Uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I guess, will Cyber Monday be better than freaking Amazon Prime days? <laughs> I don't know. I do not know. Uh, I was on a kick playing more uh, Naruto uh, Ultimate Ninja Storm uh, 1 and 2 on my Switch. I beat 1. By beat, I mean I just did the basic story. I haven't come back and got the true ending of it, but man, I remember watching that show, like really watching like that show, like fan subbed, um, 
and like I had no like the games just actually tell the story a little bit better. I mean, sure, there's arcs and genres that aren't told in the video games that are told in the uh, told in the shows, which are some stuff that's probably only told in the show and some stuff that's only told in the manga. Man, it just you see the creativity that people go into in those things. So yeah. Really do like that. Uh, what else is really going? Ah, I think that's about it. Uh, I haven't gotten Luigi's Mansion three yet. Uh, will will be soon. Sort of on a little restricted budget, <laughs> um, but that should be sa- solved very quickly as well. Anyway, that was uh, that was uh, episode fourteen of season two, Zen Carrot Alert Duo. Thank you all for listening, and for those who downloaded it and all that. I know it's not that big of a group, but you know, thank you nonetheless, and have yourself a good weekend. Bye.